0: This episode of Alliance Live Podcast is the first of four recordings being released to mark co-production week 2019. Sally Shaw is the founder and director of Ideas for Ears, a third sector organisation supporting businesses and organisations to adopt best practices that are loved and wanted by people with hearing loss. Sally highlights the creation of the Hearing Access Protocol being developed, making it possible for more people to more easily hear and follow the spoken word and other audible information. The initiative has co-production at its core, having been developed with people with hearing loss across the UK and by providing guidance to make any service design process more inclusive. Um, Could you provide a brief overview of the, the work of Ideas for Ears?
1: So, Ideas for Ears is a not for profit social enterprise. Um, we support organisations and businesses to make their products, services, and facilities more accessible, more desirable, and more effective for people with hearing loss. Um, we ourselves have hearing loss and we involve others with hearing loss in what we do. Um, So we open up our projects and invite as wide a range of people with hearing loss as we can um, to help us shape up our ideas, proposals and plans. And by involving people with hearing loss in a range of constructive and progressive activity um, that, that, that we do, we help those individuals to become more knowledgeable and more aware of what's out there that can assist them. And we help them to become more confident and able at self-managing the challenges that Hearing North brings and advocating for their needs and rights to be observed.
0: Thank you. So we're here today to talk about the work of the organisation in relation to developing its services uh, through co-production and more specifically the Hearing Access Protocol. Can you give us some background around what that is?
1: The Hearing Access Protocol um, is a guidance document Actually, it's more than that. It's a toolkit of resources that detail and show how to achieve hearing access. And the concept of hearing access is is fairly new, and I can explain more about that in a bit. But what's important to recognise is that both hearing access and the hearing access protocol are relevant to any situation where spoken communication or audible information is used. So if you think about that for a moment, You'll realise that that means it's relevant everywhere and anywhere because the most common way we communicate is by speaking. And communication happens all around us constantly, so there's relevance to lots of situations. For the moment though, the situations that we're mostly focusing on are meetings, conferences and events. We want the hearing access protocol to become the practical bedrock for the way that any group gathering happens. It could be a work meeting or a public consultation event or a community council meeting or maybe a group gathering for a club or a group that you're involved with. In all of these instances, the hearing access protocol will help to make sure that everyone can participate and be included, whatever their hearing is like. And I think what is also great about it is that so much of the guidance that's set out in the hearing access uh, protocol is just good practice generally. So there is a lot in it that's beneficial and sensible, no matter whether your hearing is excellent or you have no hearing at all.
0: Um, So can you actually tell us a little bit more about what uh, hearing access is?
1: Hearing access is about making it more easy for more people to more easily hear and follow spoken language and other audible information, perhaps alerts or alarms or sound effects and videos. It is as essential as physical and mobility access, but it is poorly understood. And the co-production work that we've been doing around the hearing access protocol has allowed us to define much more robustly what hearing access actually is. And there are five big themes that fall within the concept of hearing access. Um, First, it's the environment where things are taking place. How hearing friendly is it? Um, What are the noise levels like? What are the room acoustics like? Is there an echo? Does sound reverberate? Does noise build and spread? Second, it's about the audio equipment. So what is provided in terms of the sound system, the loudspeakers, the microphones, the hearing loop, or any other assistive listening um, system. The third thing that falls under this concept of hearing access, and possibly it's the most challenging to get change with, um, even though in theory it costs absolutely nothing, and that is actually about behavior of people and the way that they the the communication skills that they have the way that they speak so their pace their volume and their diction and then the fourth thing is around the details that need to be managed like the lighting the room layout making sure that faces and mouths can be seen as best as possible those sorts of things and finally um there is the use of additional communication support to assist. So the, 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 the use of notes, writing down information um, on flip charts and um, having handouts and so on, so that key bits of information can be seen visibly as, as well as um, verbally given. And that can make a world of difference, even something simple like having name badges um, passed around a group rather than relying on everybody hearing what somebody says when, when they verbally introduce themselves. Connected with that is the involvement of language and communication professionals such as electronic note takers or sign language interpreters. And back to that whole mystery and surrounding um, confusion um, as to at what point do you involve Commun- language and communication support professionals um for you know uh, uh, how many people need to be in a room before you make that standard practice or do you only do it when somebody requests it those sorts of things are all answered and addressed um under this concept of hearing access and, and set out within the hearing access protocol
0: so um if we go back to um the development of the, the hearing access protocol uh, planning um with any endeavors of course the utmost importance but especially when beginning a co-produced initiative. Uh, What was the planning process like for you and the team? Um, What advice would you give to projects or organisations before they set forth on a similar journey?
1: Oh, so yes, there's a lot of planning and organising. I think the development of any new resource is a a big endeavour and a big undertaking and a lot of time and attention has been given to um, the creation of the information and the detail within it and making sure that it does a good job of articulating requirements and and crucially of course that by using and following the guidance within this hearing access protocol it will deliver a meaningful and genuine improvement for people with hearing loss so obviously that's that's the crux of things However, all of that said, um, this was very much a grassroots driven initiative. So it was never a top down process and it was never artificially concocted to kind of make check boxes on access and equality forms easier to fill in. Um, it emerged organically um, out of lots of conversations with people with hearing loss. So it wasn't imposed at all. Um, it was a very fluid, um, organic response to commonly voiced problems and frustrations that people were experiencing and it's been a way to capture and organize and share all of all of those um, uh, all of those difficulties and find um, sensible solutions um, that are felt to be sensible by by lots of people who have hearing loss Um, so it's a way to sort of organize all of that information so in terms of um, setting out at the the outset thinking about oh how do we plan and move through this process it wasn't done like that the planning and the development process has actually happened um, and been thought about actually as we've moved through the emergence of the whole um initiative and as it has grown and as it is um expanded and as more people have come in and 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 had a view on what's going on and i think the advice that i would offer to others that are setting about a co-production project is to um, just remember the importance of authenticity um, and the importance of truly listening, because I think that's where you get um, the quality of output and you get something that genuinely is addressing and answering societal problems that are are in existence.
0: During the actual co-production process, how many different voices were involved?
1: Oh gosh, a lot. Um, hundreds of people with hearing loss were involved in shaping the content, either through group discussion activity, survey input, or reviewing and giving feedback directly on the different versions and parts of the hearing access protocol as as it's evolved. But I think in addition, um, we engage with people and organizations who provide services to those with hearing loss and deafness. And that's included audiologists, language and communication support professionals, deafness charities, um, and individuals and organisations involved in wider access and equality work um, or who work in the disability sector. So there's been a whole range of, of different sorts of voices um, that have been involved in this process. Um, specifically, I'd like to mention Deaf Scotland, which is the lead deafness organisation in Scotland and the umbrella body, it's a membership organisation. and um, It's been particularly helpful in reviewing the resources that uh, we've been developing and helping to make sure that the work that we're doing um, dovetails and integrates with the wider push that's happening in Scotland to deliver this notion of communication for all. Um, So this notion of communication for all covers all forms of communication going beyond the part we're dealing with, which is access to spoken language and audible information. So it is looking beyond that. Um, and, and it's important that everything, of course, dovetails um, and that um, things are um, working together so that there is uh, so, so, so that there's a clear picture and, and journey through different forms of um, access and inclusion improvements that organisations um, are being asked to make, um, not just by the deafness sector, but by other sectors as well.
0: How did you ensure that the voices of lived experience were were especially valued, um, especially considering those uh, who have some form of hearing loss and need to communicate perhaps in other ways?
1: Um, well, I think for us, um, this actually wasn't that much of a challenge. It, it mm-hmm. may have been for others, but because this has been very much a, a grassroots initiative, Um, then actually the voices of lived experience um, weren't just valued, they were actually fundamental and continued to be fundamental to the whole thing. So very much central um, to the activity that we're engaged in. Um, When it comes to um, people with hearing loss, then what we would suggest is that they follow the rules of the hearing access protocol. (laughs) So all we do is make sure that we are actually living um, the detail that we set out in the hearing access protocol and lo and behold, that actually makes things quite easy. Um, I mean, it is challenging in the sense that there are, of course, practical issues to be dealt with when um, you have groups of people um, with very varying levels of hearing and very different types of communication need um, however there's commonalities um, of requirement amongst them all and certain things as, as I said when I was talking through the five key themes underneath hearing access um, that you can do so addressing those five key themes can help you to make sure that in actual fact most people are going to have a pretty good experience um, I think one of the Really important things that people need to be aware of when they're thinking about um, people with hearing loss is that the very vast majority of people who have hearing loss do have the uh, uh, capability to hear and follow what's said uh, very well, or at least adequately, so long as you get the environment and you get the situation right. Um, a core part of all of that is um, simple things like you know meeting with fairly small groups, because that then enables communication to happen well, to make sure that the room layout that we um, use means that everybody can see each other's faces. Depending on the numbers of people and depending on um, conversations that we'll have, um, electronic note-taking support might be there so that there's a live transcript of what's being said as it's being said. Um, If we've got um, people whose preference is um, to uh, is, is uh, a British Sign Language, so their first and foremost a British Sign Language user, which is a wholly different language to English, so English could be their second language, then if, if it's somebody whose preference is to um, follow what's being said through British Sign Language, then um, arrangements are made to make sure that there's an interpreter present um, that can help with so the English um, BSL exchange. So that happens quite fluidly. And I think the key thing, what we normally do at the beginning of group meetings, especially when we're getting people together face to face, is actually if you spend five minutes or so, sometimes it goes on longer than this, asking people to have a little think about um, what they're actually hearing in that setting. And if they're, once they're comfortable or if they already know each other, it can be a bit easier because this can take a little bit of um, encouragement and confidence and, and them feeling relaxed enough to frankly discuss what they are personally experiencing as they try to to hear and listen in doing that what you recognize is actually how very varied and different experiences can be even with a group that are clustered under you know a group of people all who all have hearing loss all have mild hearing loss or all have severe hearing loss their individual experiences can be markedly different
0: So what were some of the the challenges that were highlighted during the actual co-production process with individuals and what were some of the unexpected successes?
1: Um, I think in terms of the challenges, the key one is actually being to get recognition that what has been going on around awareness of of hearing and deafness issues has been great. The stuff that's happened in the past has been great. We're not in a sense, reinventing the wheel, we're trying to expand and frame things up differently so that it resonates um, with more people. Um, What we're trying to do in a sense is we've been trying to swim upstream with talking about hearing rather than talking about deafness. So we're turning things on its head. In that sense, we are being a bit disruptive because we're trying to use language that people in the community will use. Um, when they're thinking and talking about their hearing, rather than using language that has been adopted and used by audiologists and other professionals and other service providers um, when they are looking to deliver support to people who do have hearing loss. Um, So categorising and and theming um, people, theming um, people in discussions around hearing loss, it's it's a tricky one because um, there are people who have just got, small amount of hearing loss and there are people who've got no hearing whatsoever and the experiences can be quite different with what's going on and so therefore sometimes in a sense uh, the language that has been used has been framed up to focus on the experiences at the most extreme end but in actual fact although we need to protect that and make sure that we never lose sight of how absolutely difficult it can be for people who have got very little hearing and more than that people who've lost virtually all their hearing in a very rapid time frame in a truly difficult situation to um, get to grips with and also we can't lose sight of the importance of making sure that the needs of um, sign language users are continuing to be focused on. We do need to recognize that the biggest number of people who have hearing loss sit at the kind of other end of the spectrum, people who have got some level of hearing loss, maybe a bit of substantial hearing loss there, most of them are older. Um, and they don't, there's a lot that don't easily think of themselves as being deaf. And they certainly don't easily think of themselves as being disabled because you don't wake up one day feeling, oh, that's me disabled by my my hearing, um, by, by my deafness. You know, at what point does that happen That you that you get to that point So I think that the fact that we've been swimming kind of in a sense, we feel as though we've been swimming a bit upstream by trying to um, frame things up in a way that is more mainstream um, has been has been harder because we've been going against what's convention and tradition. But I think uh, looking at what the unexpected successes of that have been, um, it's actually allowed us to then engage with groups in a different way, because we're talking about things that they suddenly go, oh, that's relevant to me, because we're talking about noise, we're talking about reverberation. These are issues that impact on people, even if they fly through a hearing test and have got no obvious level of hearing loss, they may still have an issue with being able to process speech in a noisy space. And that's to do, actually, with the cognitive processing. So that's actually to do with the way your brain works rather than the way that your ear is picking up the sound.
0: There's an obvious moral, ethical and also legal case for inclusivity and accessibility. What legislation supports accessible communication and what EU or domestic legal frameworks drive forward our thinking here?
1: Alright, so yeah, um, the, we've got the Equality Act um, that came out in 2010. And under that, there is the duty to provide equal and fair treatment to all and to be proactive in identifying potential barriers. So disabled people are not at a substantial disadvantage compared to non-disabled people. And they also need to, there needs to be a plan of action to reduce or re- eliminate these potential barriers. So um, if you have If you are deaf or you have hearing loss, you might not think of yourself as disabled, but under the Equality Act, you might be defined as being disabled. So that means you should have equal access and equality of opportunity without discrimination. What we do see, however, is that the Equality Act at a practical level isn't delivering great improvement at all. Because very often when it comes to translating um, this kind of reasonable adjustment for people with hearing loss or who are deaf, there are only a couple of things that are thought about. Oh, a hearing loop, or the other one is sign language interpreters. So they can say, we'll be fully accessible, don't worry, it'll all be great. And you turn up and they've got a sign language interpreter and 99% of people with hearing loss do not and cannot use sign. It'd be wonderful if we all could, but we can't. There's a very, very small number of people relative to all of those with hearing loss who actually can use British Sign Language. Um, The very, very vast majority of people who have hearing loss cannot. But the other point, um, and this bit about hearing loops, I am a huge hearing loop fan. They make the world of difference in, in lots of situations, but only If they're installed correctly they're of the right specification and they're used appropriately otherwise they're just pointless and actually sometimes a hearing loop isn't the solution that you need so for instance you can be told oh yes um there's a hearing loop it'll all be fine and you'll go in and if you go back and think about okay this workplace scenario, say you'll go into that space and there might indeed be a hearing loop that's set up but the way that the workshop or whatever it is that's happening is that you're going to be split into little groups and you're all going to be discussing things at tables. So not only is that room, the, the hearing loop that's set out around the full room utterly hopeless because it can't be used in a discussion situation with lots of tables, people discussing at different tables, it's not a solution for that. But there's also huge amounts of noise that then make that table discussion even harder. So the Equality Act... Um, In terms of people's understanding, oh, that just means you need to have a hearing loop or that just means you need to sign language interpreters, it's not there. Um, And through what we've been doing with uh, trying to make the understanding of hearing access more robust and setting out detail around the hearing access protocols, what we're trying to do is actually frame up what reasonable in terms of the Equality Act, what reasonable might be deemed to mean, when it comes to people with hearing loss and deafness so what we're hoping is that the, the the work and all this co-production effort that's gone on around the hearing access protocol that can actually be really helpful for actually defining where we're at with legal stuff and it's not just the equality act that we need to think about um because there are other legal duties as well um human rights um the human rights act that we've got um is it, you know has got really big implications for what people with hearing loss should um, should should have a right to receive, and actually that 's been um, an area of great focus and attention from from deaf scotland the umbrella and the lead body in Scotland Um, and that's where they are they're really focusing on on what these human rights are for people um, with deafness because we see that that might be where some gains um, are to be made because of this right to accessible information this right to inclusive communication um, that's there um, just simply because otherwise how can you actually take part in things um, there are other things as well, like public sector duties um, under the Patient Rights Act. And we've got the United Nations Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities that recognises the requirement to ensure disabled people get support so they can enjoy the same rights as everybody else. So there are um, things, there's quite a lot that's there. Um, and what we just need, though, is that people don't just sort of tick a box with, oh, well, we're giving them a hearing loop. They actually think about what does it mean for making sure that people actually can hear and follow and be included in these different situations and is it as simple as oh just put a hearing loop in or just get a uh, uh, oh obviously for people with who are sign language users then probably um a sign language interpreter is is the most critical um and useful thing that they can have but for some of them it might not be that they might actually want something else they might want a different form of support maybe a lip, lip speaker or something else um so we really need to think these things through an awful lot more
0: so you're involved in a project with Dundee University in understanding the barriers and aids to access and inclusion in the use of table discussions and in the consultation process which has elements of co-production how does the protocols inform or complement this work
1: so in actual fact what it is is that the the project being done with Dundee University will actually um, form part of the content that is evolving and expanding within the hearing access protocol. So what we focused on with Dundee University was understanding um, what is going on um, when it comes to table discussions, group discussions that are so often used within a consultation process. You'll bring people together into a room, you'll talk about a theme or you'll have a presentation made to the group and then you'll be split into smaller groups. Um, and be asked to, in those smaller groups, discuss um, a topic or a subject, and then to feedback to the full group on what it is that you have um, uh, concluded within within your groups. That process is often um, very inaccessible for people with hearing loss because the volume of noise that's generated by all the groups um, simultaneously discussing things at different tables in the same space can make it really difficult. Um, to be able to hear and you know, hear and focus on what 's going on in your own table, but it 's not only um difficult for people um with with hearing issues it also can be qu- quite hard for people who find it difficult to um um articulate or express their thoughts and feelings or people who find it difficult to assert their point of view on something so it can be really hard um, or for people who are shy or who feel that they don't have enough subject knowledge to actually justify them having an opinion especially when they're within a group of people who appear to be better informed or more confident or more articulate so there's quite a lot of people that can find those table discussions actually either inaccessible or um, not particularly fair so we were looking at that and um, with Dundee University and what we did was we focused on in particular the, the communication issues that arise for people with hearing loss. So um, we, we set up very small groups, focus groups, um, and video cameras were set up in the room by uh, the researchers um, at Dundee University and they then were able to train those cameras from all different angles to watch the verbal and non-verbal exchanges that were going on and the actual situation and the scenario that we set up was was board games, it was family games that that we got the people um, in those groups to play because those games were particularly chosen because they required different types of communication and exchange to go on between the people in that group and what we had um, within some of the groups was we had sign language users we had people who were relying on an electronic note taker so um uh, subtitles essentially of, of of what was going on and what was being said at the point when it was being said so we had people who weren't able to look at the rest of the group or indeed at what it was that they were they were looking at the resources that were on the table and that were being pointed to and referred to because they were having to look at their communication, their language and communication support um, professional, so that they could actually follow what people were saying. So, if you stop and think about that, you can see immediately there's a whole load of practical issues that arise in that. And it was incredibly difficult, actually, <laughs> for people to see and to be able to follow what was going on with some quite complex things that were happening with this board game. It was tremendous tremendous fun everybody involved at a wonderful time it was a co-production exercise with everybody being aware of why they were being brought together and, and, and what it was that was happening but what was really interesting was at the end of all of that people were asked to keep a diary or to write down in, in a little diary you know what had gone on for each of the games that were played and what their feelings were and what they thought about um, the experiences that other people in their group may have had And although we were expecting all of them to have said, yeah, there were clear communication issues and challenges going on for either me or for other members of the group, because they were so apparent, we didn't see this at all. We actually saw that in quite a lot of instances, there were people who did not pick up the quite extreme challenges that some people were actually having. So if you think about that, that was a group of people who actually even knew they they knew that there was going to be communication challenges but they didn't actually pick up what they were within that group setting even though we would have expected them to do that so if you translate that out into um out across consultation activity that's happening throughout the public sector right across scotland right across transport healthcare education and anything else that's going on you're going to have an awful lot of people who are taking part that you might think Would pick up, oh, there's somebody having a you know finding this quite difficult, but they're not doing that. And that would be going also for people who are there to facilitate what's happening. They quite likely are not always seeing and spotting the difficulties that are there and that are being experienced. Not unless they're really highly trained, but of course, that's not always possible. Quite often, facilitators are are lay people or volunteers or you know, staff who've not actually had any specific training. So The actual work done um, in this project with Dundee University has used this really um, innovative gamification techniques um, that Dundee University have used elsewhere um, to help us understand and be able to evidence the actual problems that are going on amongst people who have got um, communication disadvantage caused by the way that they hear.
0: So the hearing access protocols aim to enshrine best practice and inclusive service design for those who may have hearing loss or deafened, hard of hearing or have become deafblind. However, many of the themes and advice within the protocols are incredibly relevant for other groups. How may the protocols also support other groups within meeting spaces, for example, people living uh, with autistic spectrum disorder or uh, sight loss?
1: Yeah, I think that um, because it's a communication issue and communications overlap between different groups of people, um, there are quite a lot of things um, set out in the hearing access protocol and that get dealt with under the scheme of hearing access that are highly relevant um, to people living with other types of communication needs. So when we think about the key thing, uh, one of the key issues that we're trying to deal with under hearing access, it's around noise and around acoustics. So we're talking and thinking about how comfortable is that acoustic space for people? Um, what noise levels, what volume of noise has been generated from conversational chatter or anything else that's going on? And it can become um, uncomfortable quite quickly for people with hearing loss, and it can become uncomfortable for people with other um, uh, hearing sens- sensitive hearing issues as well. And, and that can include people... Um, with autism, uh, because uh, sensory um, sensitivity um, can be one of the one of the issues that they have. So dealing and being able to uh, deal better with noise levels, deal better with acoustic environments, and actually understand what you're working with, so you can in advance let people know what the uh, the noise levels and what the acoustic nature of of a particular space is going to be it would be really helpful. Obviously, to more than people, um, more than just people with hearing loss. And I think um, the other group of people who can find um, noise levels and, and poor acoustics overwhelming are people with dementia um, for the issues of, you know, it's kind of cognitive overload. There's a lot going on for them. They're trying to work a lot of different things out. Many of them also have got hearing loss. So there's that as well, coupled with this other, um, these other difficulties that they may have with cognitive processing. So making sure that you've got an environment that is hearing friendly, plays to what they need also when it comes to people who you mentioned sight loss and in actual fact some of the good practices in the hearing access protocol deal with just things like um if you've got a, a visual display and you're using um information written notes and so on um if there are subtitles it's just recognizing that written stuff which is really really important to people with hearing loss because they want to be able to read stuff to make sure that they've not lost the thread of things and they can reassure themselves of picking things up accurately, that written information needs to be big enough for them to actually be able to read it from the back of the room. So if they're having to think about, okay, we need to make sure that that written information is big enough to be seen, that obviously is also helpful at a practical level for people who've got some kind of visual impairment as well.
0: That's really helpful insight, Sally. So we're at the, the last question here. Um, How can people, partner organizations and other groups get involved? Uh, What is the best way to spread the word about ideas for years going forward and where can this information be found?
1: so um first off where can it be found do go to the ideas for years website um and have a look there and sign up for the the newsletter so you'll find links and things on the website that'll allow you to do that and periodically um then you'll get some updates on on work and things that's going on um in terms of sort of looking ahead and what's going on so there is an endeavor um to make scotland an inclusive communication nation Um, that's really important. So we've got at the moment some um, legislation under the the, the social securities, which is around and enshrining the need for inclusive communication. And the idea is to actually enforce that to possibly look at um, having more legislation or more need for compliancy um, so that we uh, um, protect the need for inclusive communication and accessible information at a wider level across our public services. But I, we also have got work that's going on through the um, work Deaf Scotland is doing through human rights. And of course, there is also the Equality Act that we can we can look at um, using to try to, to keep moving things forward and get momentum going. What Ideas for Ears is doing as part of all of that is um, focusing on things that, that, that need to be dealt with. Um, first off, we've got a raft of workshops now Um, that are um, going to be available next year for organizations and individuals to sign up to so we can run workshops on this notion of hearing access, um, helping people to um, understand um, audio equipment, acoustics, that kind of thing. For people who speak or present um, workshops and helping them to speak with appropriate volume, speed and diction so that they can practice their techniques and make sure that they're aware of other um, important communication skills that they should have that maybe have not been something that has come to the foreground with them when they've maybe done other workshops on, on um, delivering presentations and so on. So we can help them focus on the accessibility of the way that they speak and deliver things. So I think what I would suggest right now is that um, organisations commit to this notion of hearing access and recognising that it's important for their uh, their own staff, for their customers, for their service users, for other stakeholders, um, especially as we've got this ageing population, but for anybody of any age with any hearing issue, really important. So commit to that in the same way that you might have committed once to Um, physical access and mobility access and to recognize that it's cross-cutting it's not just one thing you can't just pop a hearing loop in and tick the box and go job done it's a lot more than that Um, it's not difficult to do but it does require conscious thought and it does require knowledge of making sure that you're moving through the steps properly and that you're actually checking back and you're actually getting the outcome that you think you're getting and you're not just making assumptions about Things working and things being okay because nobody's complaining. So, therefore, everything's okay. Do not take that as being a measure at all. Just because people are complaining, that does not mean anything. It just means they're not complaining because maybe they don't have the confidence to complain, or maybe there's no point because nothing can get done anyway. That's kind of where we're at at the moment. Um, and that's the bit that completely needs to change.
0: That's great. So, that brings us to the, the end of our uh, conversation in the podcast here. Thank you so much for um, speaking with us and answering those questions.
1: Thank you very much indeed. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure and um, look forward to hearing access and the hearing access protocol being something that more people know about and um, can use and, and get the benefit from.
0: Thanks very much. The Alliance Live podcast can be found on all major podcast streaming platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and CastBox. Don't forget to sign up to the next Alliance Live webinar, showcasing examples of innovative and integrated working taking place across Scotland within health and social care. Follow at Alliance Scott on Twitter to find out how. Learn more about the work that we do at the Alliance by visiting our website, www.alliance-scotland.org.uk. That's www. Alliance dash